we have considered, uh, we have been considering the Holy Spirit. And I think if there's a subject that is very mysterious uh, and very oft confusing and sometimes uh, attributed to the weird, it's the idea of Holy Spirit. And so we want to demystify some of those things and uh, hopefully undo some of those notions that make the idea of the Holy Spirit strange or mysterious. Um, if we could have the, the passage in Isaiah chapter 55, just to start off with. In Isaiah 55 verse 8, the Lord uh, writes this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Uh, the next verse. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with God, who thinks like God. And we think like us. And that's different. One of the things we've considered from the very start is that Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a wind or a wisp or a ghost or a, just a floating power. Holy Spirit is, the, is a distinct person. He's the third member of the Trinity. He is equal in Godhood with God the Father and God the Son. He has his own distinct um, personality, his own distinct expression. And just like Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' names is the Word. Jesus is called the Word of God, um, descriptive of his uh, intent and his expression of everything God thinks. Jesus as the Word expresses, makes known what God thinks, what God's plans are. In the same way, the Spirit of God is the expression of the accomplishing of God's plan and God's purpose in the spirit God intends it to be done in. So uh, one of the things we will also note about Holy Spirit is he's very humble. The ministry of Holy Spirit is marked by humility in that all we know about him, all he says about himself really is, I do what God says. There is complete unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, before creation, we find that the Holy Spirit was present, but he was doing no creating work until God spoke. We also find that Jesus, for 30 years, was a craftsman, he was a carpenter, but for all practical intents and purposes, no one thought anything different about Jesus for 30 years other than He's a great guy. He's honest. He's devout. But he did no miraculous work for 30 years. Well, actually, he did. We just didn't see it. He did no public miraculous work. You don't walk free from sin for 30 years in fellowship with your father with nothing happening. His life was filled with activity with God. But we, man mankind, saw no public work from Jesus until he was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, 
and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. From that point forward, for three and a half years, we find that the Holy Spirit being given to Jesus, this union between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, produced miracles that we're still dealing with, we're still reading about, we're still wanting to lay hold of. But Acts chapter 10, in verse 38, Luke writes, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So once again, we find Jesus did no public work apart from God the Father signifying its time and God the Holy Spirit coming upon him and remaining. So um, last week, one of the things we considered, and I will just pick up from here, is this idea that what Jesus did is magnificent. He came to do something bigger than we thought. And if you say, Jesus came to forgive my sins, he did. And he didn't just come to do it, he did it. There's nothing coming back on you. There's no sin coming to revisit you if you're in Jesus Christ because they've been forgiven. But he was doing more than that. Even more than that. If we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to talk about Jesus because that's all Holy Spirit is interested in doing, is telling us what Jesus did. Holy Spirit does not talk about himself. He talks about Jesus. His intent is to glorify Jesus. His intent is to take what Jesus did and show us, work it out in our lives. I know many, many people, especially in our culture today, many people want to see the works of God. They want to see miracles. And I'm telling you, Holy Spirit is interested in glorifying one person, and that's Jesus Christ, not you. So if you want this big ministry and you want the miracles of God, I would suggest you fall in love in a greater way with Jesus Christ and have as your sole intent to glorify him. That's what Holy Spirit, then Holy Spirit will find agreement with you. Oh, now we're on the same page. Holy Spirit will not validate you. And there's people that want God, the Holy Spirit, to prove yourself so I can believe in you and Holy Spirit says, no, believe, and I will prove to you. You believe first. He's not out to prove anything. Jesus has already shattered history. He's already completely rewritten history. He's already completely ransomed whoever will believe in him. And that's what Holy Spirit is interested in showing us. What has happened? What did Jesus do? How completely new are you? 
What if you're more new than you think? What if you're more forgiven than you think? What if you're more safe than you think? What if your help is closer than you think? Jesus did something so amazing that he's changed what you are. We took some looks back in the Old Testament, just some random samplings of references to the Holy Spirit and his activity in the Old Testament, and we find that the Spirit of God was very active in the Old Testament. And the references are such that he, he made people skilled in leadership, skilled in craftsmanship. We also find this idea of the Spirit rushed upon him, and he did this. Samson encountered a lion on the road. And the scriptures say, the spirit rushed upon him and he tore the lion like one would tear a young goat. I can't even tear a young goat, so those were, must have been men back then because those guys, if they just tear young goats right and left, well then, all right. Some places the scripture says this in the Old Testament. The spirit rushed upon him like clothing. The spirit rested upon him like a cloak. Almost like something that they could feel. Like an aura or something about them. One of the marks of Holy Spirit uh, interacting with men in the Old Testament is they would prophesy. Not just anybody prophesied. You stood up and prophesied, you better be right. Because they didn't take kindly to false prophets or people trying to make a name for themselves. Wisdom was a common attribute of the Spirit of God being on somebody. But one of the other things we find in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit tended to not, He was never on everybody mainly on men. And the majority of the time, he didn't remain. He would come upon somebody like a cloak or like clothing and then would leave when the deed was done. And then Jesus came along and in the New Testament, we start hearing new phrases new ideas, things that have never been seen, never heard, never, nobody saw them coming. Jesus said, from your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, who was to be given to those who believe in him. But he had not been given yet because Jesus was not yet glorified. The giving of Holy Spirit in the New Testament is directly linked to Jesus being glorified and Jesus being announced as both Lord and Christ. It was a sign of Jesus' supremacy is Holy Spirit was given 
But there's this idea, new ideas, new phrases. From your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Where you go, you're to water it. You're supposed to go and water that dry place. Why? Because Jesus came, in the Old Testament, the temple was made out of stone. It was a building. God's presence was in the building. You came as a believer, as a member of Israel, you would come to the building to meet with your God, to bring your sacrifices. But Jesus came to do something so incredible, he came to make you a temple. That's different. What if what Jesus has done has made you so brand new on the inside person that there is nothing preventing God from putting Holy Spirit in you so that you are called a temple of the Holy God? Can we have the uh, verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and there's many other references. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about you being made a dwelling of God in the Spirit. But 1 Corinthians says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Let's put aside our religion for a minute. This is incredible. This is, what, what, what did the passage that Annie read from us this morning uh, from uh, Isaiah chapter 12? You have done excellent things. And the word is beyond, beyond what you could imagine. He didn't just do something good. He did something amazing. He did something incredible that whoever believes in him becomes a living temple. Peter says, you are living stones. You are individually a temple of the living God. Jesus began to say things like this, I'm going to send a helper to you, a comforter. And the word is parakletos, which means a helper like me. To be with you and in you, that's new. In you is new. When you walk in the room, so does God, because he's in you. You aren't God, believe me. We aren't God. But he, because of what Jesus has done, has caused us to be a temple. A temple of the living God. Where you go, God goes. That's how close he is to you. Jesus said he will be with you, and he will remain. On the day of Pentecost, when all the, Jesus had left, he had risen from the dead, he had left, and the disciples, he had told them, wait for the promise from my Father, for you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and you shall re receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they were waiting. And on the day of Pentecost, there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind and tongues as a fire distributed themselves on each believer present. They began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. And Peter said, this is what the prophet Joel said. 
Although last couple of weeks I've said the prophet Joel. And Joel has noted that. The prophet Joel said, I will pour out my spirit in those days, the days in which Jesus has accomplished what he came to do, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not one here, not one there. And your sons and your daughters. What? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my, on your handmaids and servants, male servants, shall I pour out my spirit. So what Jesus did, said, has announced, there is now no gender issue. Holy Spirit will come to man and woman. I will give gifts to young men, not just old men. Age isn't a factor. Servants, status is not an issue anymore. I'm going to cross every barrier and I'm going to pour out my spirit. So great is the work that Jesus has done. He's done something that we can't fathom. And I understand that. It's hard to say it. It's hard to use bigger words than we can use. You're stuck. And it's going to take the presence of the Holy Spirit who is present now to begin to open eyes in this room and to begin to see places where you need to let fears go because God is with you. Places where you're more safe and you can just let things go because God himself is in you. There's a river, there's a spring in you our issue is learning how to open the spring. And that's sometimes the conflict we have. If there's a spring in me, why? Well, that's why a majority of the New Testament was written, to help us unlock. I'm going to read just a portion because I think we deal with religion a lot. Religion is a paralyzer. It's a, oh yeah, I've heard that before kind of thing. It's just a children's poem, and if you bear with me for a minute, you can imagine a taxi cab pulling up in front of a little cartoon children's book house, and an old man with a long beard getting out with a hat and a suitcase, and a little girl leading the old man to the house. It's called, If God Came to Live at My House. If God came to live at my house, he would not come as a guest. He would live there as my father. I would trust that he knows best. I wouldn't fear the thunder or of creaking in the night or all the sounds that houses make when storms blow out the light. Of burglars, bangs or bugs or bats, of shaking shutters, shattered slats or goblins, ghosts or squeaky gates or shadow shouts or scary shapes or meanies, mice, or bad mistakes, or splinters, hurts, or cold, or flu, or when I don't know what to do. If God came to live at my house, I would never be afraid. I would run to him and hug him and would do just what he says. There's more, but what if? Let's pretend. No, let's not pretend, but let's use our imagination. Pretend means act like something's true that isn't. We're never called to pretend, but we are called to image. 
in, put a true image in my mind. What if God came to live at your house? Right now, just think. If God came to live at your house, that's where he lives. Would you really be afraid of a burglar if God lived at your house? God is there. Would you be afraid of sickness? He's the healer. There's no disease that can stick to him and he lives in your house. He's super rich. Would you fear the electric bill? Would you? No. Not if he said, let me know. You got a bill? I'll take care of it. I'll help you. And what if he was famous for being able to help you handle any kind of thing? What if he lived in your house? Well, he does. The point of the poem is he actually does. What if we don't believe it? What if we accept it as a Bible verse? What if we accept it? What if we wouldn't be afraid of the things we were afraid of if we really believed that he had come to live in my house? Because he says, you're my house. It's that real. <laughs> Our issues are, I used to be a plumber. I worked for a plumber. And I've seen the pipe work in Indiana. And it is nasty. You wouldn't drink the water if you knew what your pipes look like. You're just glad it comes out clear because that's not what the inside of your pipes look like. They are terrible. I mean, it was really nasty and it gross for me to have to contend with. That's not just their pipe. That's everybody's pipes. They've got minerals. Sometimes there's so much gook in the pipes. There's just like a pinhole. Well, sometimes the issue is our pipes. You have a spring in you. I have a spring in me. The truth of the matter is you are his temple. God lives in you. Your pipe might be clogged, but he lives in you. You may not be enjoying the flow, the water pressure you want, but it's not because he's not there, because Jesus did what he said he did. And you acknowledge that every time you write the date. Every time you write the date, you are acknowledging Jesus is at the center point of human history. Everything is either AD, BC or AD. Only God can do that. So now, what should we expect? So, Okay, Jesus has accomplished this magnificent, excellent work and caused us as his believers to become temples of the Holy Spirit. What should I expect? What does it look like? What does Holy Spirit in me look like? How does it present I'm deciding which scripture to go to. Let me just use this reference. In uh, John chapter 11, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus had died. 
And Jesus was also good, dear friends with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And to, just to make a long story short and cut right to the chase, when Jesus got to the family, one of the sisters came out and said, Lord, if you were here, you could have done something because Jesus was famous for healing. And Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And she said, yeah, 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 I know. In the resurrection, he's going to get up and... I know. <laughs> and Jesus called the other sister. And she said, if you were here, you could have done something. And Jesus wept. And there's a, a number of contentions why he wept. Some of them include, you still aren't getting it. You aren't getting who I am. Because when Jesus said, your brother shall rise again, he meant in a few minutes. So you understand the problem. And I dare say, I wouldn't be any different than Mary or Martha. I might have been a little peeved. Why did it take you so long? Why? Because there's a basic incompatibility between the way I think and the way God thinks. I think like me and I think like a person. And I think in view of what we can do and what we can't do. And I can't heal people. I know it. And I can't raise the dead and I can't make something unhappen. I know that. And that's very frustrating for me as a man, as a person, as a human. But we as humans think like, say it with me, humans. God thinks like God. He thinks in view of crea creating. He thinks in view of his power. He thinks in view of nothing being impossible. He can turn back time. He can show you what's going to happen. He can undo something that's been done. That, I can't do that. So you understand the problem. We are not God. We don't think the same. So Holy Spirit coming to live with you is going to do one major thing that's going to have a ton of other fruits. He's going to teach you, help you to grow in compatibility with God to begin to think a little bit more like the God who is with you so that you don't fret so much. Can we have the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, please? Um, we have this idea in uh, American Christianity at least and probably worldwide, this idea of the charismatic Christian the, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And often this notion of being filled with the Holy Spirit comes under many different expressions, but often you'll hear people say something like this. The worship was so fantastic in the meeting last night 
that I was just dancing and dancing and I was soaked with sweat and I was just so elated. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Quite often, we find that when people talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, they describe an emotional happening, an event, and that is not correct. Now, I don't know your name. What's your name? Melissa? If Melissa was suffering with something, and God the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, you are completely healed. And she, she said, I have been completely healed. And she checked and she could walk and she could do things she couldn't do a minute ago and she knew she knew that she knew that she knew she couldn't tell you why she knew but she knew God had done something in her that she couldn't do he had performed a miracle and she was completely healed and she began to try to tell you and she was excited and she began to hop and then she began to dance and then she was the more she did it the more she realized I'm healed And all you see is Melissa being excited and jumping and dancing and almost being hysterical and being beside herself. Now, which part of that is being filled with, the, filled with the Spirit? The finding out you're healed or the jumping around and being excited because of your reaction? We often call the reaction, oh, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. No, she was filled with the Holy Spirit when God told her something. He revealed something to her that she could not know otherwise. She, her mind became compatible with God's mind in that moment. And all of a sudden, God saying you're healed met with agreement with her. And she believed it. And there was an agreement the emotion was just the fruit. It's just the reaction. It is not the issue. Because if you have to have an emotional reaction to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you will miss how many times you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the reason we're going down this path is so that you can begin to understand when Holy Spirit is working in me, what should I be looking for? Because if I'm only looking for dancing and hysterics, I'm going to miss it. And worse than that, you will try to produce it. And people try to produce or reproduce this so-called charismatic. Don't, I don't like to use the word charismatic because it's become a cultural thing with a lot of stigmas and a lot of patterns and a lot of do this and don't do that. But the genuine move of God and his spirit is more associated with you coming into mind and agreement. And believe me, if you've ever raised a child, that agreement between child and parent start, sometimes starts at a very fundamental level. Goo goo gaga. Oh, that's daddy. Oh, that's mama and it grows. Let's read the verse um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
Paul is writing and he's quoting uh, a passage from the Old Testament, but he says, just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. What did he reveal through the Spirit? Things which eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and which have not entered your mind. The work of God, the Holy Spirit, is to make you know things that are in the mind of God. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him, right? Only you know what you're really thinking and wanting. Only you know if you're mad, but you can't let anybody know it. So you put on your little smile, but you're really mad. Your spirit knows that. The only person that knows your thoughts is your spirit. The only person that knows God's thoughts is God's spirit. So if God's spirit is working in you, what do you think he's doing? Telling you God's thoughts. Telling you sometimes how much you're loved, how free you are, how forgiven you are. These are thoughts of God. But Holy Spirit makes it personal. His intent is to reveal to you what God thinks, how God thinks. I'll read again. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. That's his intent. To make you know what Jesus has accomplished, what is yours, what is available, what Jesus, what the work of Jesus means for you specifically. The work of Holy Spirit in your life has less to do with emotional reactions and more to do with you finding out truly for yourself what God thinks about you and about other things. Okay? These things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man, even though he might be a Christian, if his piping, if his pipes are clogged, and he still mainly only thinks like a man, but a natural-minded, you could insert there, but a natural-minded man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. What do you mean speak to a storm? What do you mean speak to a tree? What do you mean speak to a disease? What do you mean put your hands on somebody that's sick? What do you mean speak with other tongues? What do you mean? Isn't that what we see Jesus doing? Who talks to a storm? Who talks to a tree? Who tells their tomato plant to grow? And it grows. Oh, you have to be on the same wavelength. Otherwise, this sounds strange. It sounds strange to a Christian who still may be mainly natural-minded. Who may still mainly only think about human ability. That's why Romans chapter 8 talks about the mindset on the flesh is death. That means the mindset on human ability is separated from God and his way of thinking. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 
The more spiritually minded, the more we begin to come into agreement with God and what he thinks and the way he thinks, we find that God does things differently than us. That's why I would suggest, since Jesus is the one that said, believers in my name will speak with new tongues, I would suggest that it's wise if you don't understand speaking in other tongues, that you would say to God, I don't understand that. I would like to look into it more rather than mocking it as I've heard Christians do. Mocking something holy that they don't understand because they don't understand it because it seems foolish to them. And I've heard people say it on the radio. How foolish is that babble speaking in other tongues? And I'm thinking, hey, be careful. God thought it up. It's God's idea. There must be a purpose. If I don't understand it, I, I want to be very careful and reverent to God and say, that's something I don't understand yet. But we do need to understand that to the natural-minded man, the things of the Spirit seem foolish. Speak to a tree, speak to a disease, put your hand. What's putting your hand on that going to do? Well, Jesus put his hands on people and he told us, believers in my name, would lay their hands on the sick and they would recover. What if the power isn't in your hand but in the obedience to God? What if when God sees a believer in his name lay their hands on the sick, God says, that is obedience because that's an activity of faith. I'm going to reward it. I can't heal a person, but I can obey God, and he can use me as a conduit. Jesus did it all the time. But what we're coming down to is within Christianity, some people are growing in a spiritual mindedness. Some people are uh, still naturally minded, meaning they mainly think in terms of human strength and human ability and human stuff. This is how humans do things. You know, uh, there was a man in the New Testament named Philip, and he was having a very effective ministry in Indiana, Pennsylvania, let's say. And once he was done, God whisked him off, and he found himself in Apollo. That's how far away he went. Now, you might say, how foolish, but God can do what he wants, and God can whisk somebody away from danger. Elijah was, people were afraid to go after Elijah in the Older Testament because they said, you'll be one place, and then the Spirit of God will whisk you off to someplace else, as if when you're dealing with that guy's God, that's what that guy's God does. He's really God. So, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Why would you do that? He might say. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ because we have God's Spirit who knows the thoughts of God. Now chapter 3 starts this way. And I, brethren, could not speak to you. Uh-oh. I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but I had to speak to you as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. That was his indictment. You're still very naturally minded in the way you think. You're still about men, and there needs to be this uh, compatibility. It needs to grow. So he wrote to them so that there might be a growth 
That's part of the reason we work together. That's part of the reason there's teaching so that there might be a group of people who are encouraging each other in these truths. Because the truth is you are a temple. The truth is Jesus has succeeded. The truth is he's done what he came to do and that has resulted in something happening to you and God's spirit being given. You being made a dwelling of God. What if God came to live at your house? Well, he has. But now the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce a compatibility in thinking. And I say this a lot, but sometimes there's these little whispers we can get from God. These little tweaks, these little adjustments, these little ideas or questions. God, the Holy Spirit working in you to bring you around, to bring you more in agreement with what is so, what is true. And some of the tiniest, seemingly tiniest little words from God can change you forever. That's why there is no such thing as a small encounter with God. There's no such thing as a small word, a small miracle. Because what God calls the smallest might be so revolutionary to you. There might be things right now that are pinging. Little questions, what if? I find God speaks to me in what ifs, as if he's saying, what if what I said is really true? And then I have to think, what if it is? And that, then I'm caught because I'm like, okay, I already didn't believe it. But to our, to our defense, the Bible is radical. Just because we've grown numb to religion does not mean that what the Bible actually says is not radical. And when embraced, it is radical. It is not easy. It's very challenging. And so I say that to our defense because God is big and he, his ways are higher than ours. He doesn't think like us. As we close, I would just like to mention that this is the work that Holy Spirit has undertaken to come and live in you as a temple and to begin re, to reorder you and the way you think so that you begin to think in view of God with me. Not to think in view of I am God because you aren't, neither am I. We're very fallible. We make lots of mistakes and sometimes God lets us make mistakes so that he can teach us. So he can show us, but nonetheless, the task God has undertaken by his Holy Spirit is to take the things of Jesus and show them, not just as information, but as a working, functional part of my life. Can we have the, the passage in John chapter uh, 16, please? Verses 12, I think. Jesus is talking to his disciples shortly before he left, and these guys are sad because Jesus said he's going away, but he said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, if I, because if I don't go away, I can't send Holy Spirit to you. But if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And this is where we pick up here in verse 13 of John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Do you see this idea of him working with our mind? Working with our thoughts, bringing forth the compatibility. He will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Here's the humility. He's not a lone ranger. He's in complete sync, complete agreement with God the Father 
and God the Holy and God the Son. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus saying, what Holy Spirit does is always going to glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose, manifest, work it out in your life. This isn't about mental understanding. This is about living it. He will glorify me, for he will take the things that I purchased with my blood. He will take the accomplishments that I did in my suffering on the cross and in my resurrection, and, I will, and he will work it out in your life. This isn't about just mental. We have lots of that. Most of us in this room know way more than the disciples in the book of Acts. We know books more. No letters had been written. They didn't have a New Testament. They were still figuring things out, and yet God was at work because they were glorifying Jesus. And Holy Spirit was saying, this is what Jesus did. And so we're starting with that. One of the things Jesus did, he made you a living temple. God dwells in you. That's a starting place. That's not just a note of information. That's a fantastic, amazing, incredible, transforming truth that will change the way you live. What if God came to live at my house? What would you be afraid of then? You'd be calling out the neighbors. Well, yeah, bring it on, neighbor. <laughs> well, the truth is he has come. And he's intent on bringing forth a compatibility. And that happens on a regular basis. One of the things we find is that Holy Spirit convicts. He makes things known. How we respond in regular life. Me as a person, uh, I don't know how we get away with not talking about being convicted and needing to repent. Because that's one of the base things Holy Spirit does on a regular basis. And if we can't respond to some of those little nudges from him, if we're so in self-defense mode where I can't admit I'm wrong and I can't admit and I never do and I don't, I don't want to, and you can't tell me I'm wrong and you can't tell me, Holy Spirit will tell you you're wrong. And he will show you, he will show us where we've missed it, where we've misunderstood God and what Jesus has accomplished, that he's accomplished more than we think. And so... What I will end with is the scripture also says that the Holy Spirit who lives in you can be offended. Made sorrowful. The scripture also says, it, the word is grieve, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 5 says you can also quench. You can put out what he's doing in your life. These are not little things. Oh, I grieve the Holy Spirit. No, that's not something you talk about. That's not something. That is big. That is time to repent, time to get on my knees. That is not a, oh, sorry about that thing. We're talking about God has come to live in us. And it is so good to know how merciful he is and how patient we're raising a three-year-old along. We're watching my daughter's three-and-a-half-year-old. Three and, and believe me, there is a lot of patience and much mercy given. That mercy will not be extended when she's 20. <laughs> if she still talks to me at 20 like she talks to me at three, that'll be a different story. 
But God the Holy Spirit understands all that much more than we. He knows where we're really at. He trains us according to how he sees us, where we're really at. I think I'm 15 and God says, no, you're about four and a half right now. You know, we always tend to overinflate where we think we are because we know stuff, but we don't know it. And Holy Spirit is always intending to take what you know and show you, oh no, it's not just what you know, it's real. And you're like, really? And that's when you're caught. That's when you're like, oh really? It's real? So I'll end here and we'll pick up from here next week. But hopefully the one thing I would hope that you take from here is that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is not mainly emotional. The emotional part is what we do when we find out what God thinks about us. There have been several times in my life where God made known his love for me in a new level. And each time I would bawl like a baby. They've, they're little historic markers along my path and my journey where I can say, typically when I found out, I thought I knew he loved me and then I found out you love me like that. And it became a reality. My life was changed. And it's as if I entered a different realm of relationship with God, knowing how he really loved me, how he really likes me. Those are big things. And I know you can say it, but when you know it, and then when you find out there's depths to it, that's what Holy Spirit is interested in doing making you compatible with the God who loves you, who sent his only son to die for you so that you might be a dwelling of God in his spirit so that where you go, God goes. That changes everything. It changes the supermarket. It changes the workplace. It changes the home. It changes any kind of situation you're in. It changes the car wreck while the car wreck is still happening. I know a girl that she said, the car, her car was sliding on ice and she saw the embankment coming and she knew she was going to crash and the next thing she knew she was in the back seat. Safe. She's like, how did I get my seatbelt off? How did I get in the back seat? I don't know. I was completely safe and she had all these clothes in the back because she was doing laundry. God with you is a big deal. You as a temple of the living God is a big deal. It's one of the things Jesus suffered for so that it could happen. Meditate on that this week. If you need to, think, what if God came to live in my house? What if God came? What if God was sitting in my situation right now with me? And then remind yourself, oh yeah, he is. We'll get together next week. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> yes, Lord, we just pray that where there are embers, Lord, that you would come and you would fan the flame of your spirit at work in our lives. Lord, we don't want to quench what you're doing. So, Lord, we just take this moment to allow you to come and fan that flame. And especially in this week, Lord, that we give room for that. Amen. So they told me now is the time for announcements. <laughs> Not earlier. I'm not sure uh, Donovan's going to let me do this again. <laughs> but um, coming up, uh, United Return.